Ladies and gentlemen, we're Shovel, and this is The Growing Season, brought to you by News Talks. So like on 9.60 a.m., I'm Matt, the producer, a.k.a. Matt McFarlane. Pleased to be joined by Mom and Dad, Jack and Lynn, or John Francis, James, and Lynn Marie. Guys, how are you? Not too bad, Matthew. Yeah, I'm doing fine, too. Still on the phones here, uh, considering all of the new measures via lockdown. This makes the most sense to keep everybody safe. This week, we are going to be chatting. Actually, we're kind of spray paint. We're going in a bunch of different directions. Firstly, we are pleased to be welcoming back Mr. Chris St. Clair of the Weather Network. Visit theweathernetwork.com. He's going to be chatting about Snowmageddon. Now, this is a chat that we actually pre-recorded back before the Christmas season, back before everything went squirrely again with lockdown. So you're going to hear a difference in mic quality, and we understand that. But we're going to be chatting about the snowstorms that really stick out to us as far as being memorable. And many of these you are going to remember yourselves. And I'm sure that you have stories. Feel free, growingseasoncanada.com. Click on contact. Drop us some of your, uh, your snowmageddon stories. As well as we're going to talk about winter adaptations when it comes to plant materials. Now, we have touched on some of this information briefly, but Mom and Dad have unearthed a whole bunch of brand new stuff that I've never even heard before about how these plant materials, how our horticultural friends outside make it through the winter. You are not going to believe some of the environmental adaptations, right guys? Oh man, oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. All that and much more. This is the growing season on News Talks like at 960 AM. Again, Chris and Claire, but on the other side, we're going to be chatting about winter adaptations. She's Lynn, he's Jack, I'm Matt. Lock us in. B-A-C-K. We're back. This is the growing season. News talks. Like a 9.60 a.m. As I mentioned before, I'm Matt. She's Lynn. He's Jack. We are the McFarlands. And we try to stay away from politics as much as possible on this show. The tagline that we came up with right at the beginning of all this growing season craziness was no politics or pulpits, just plants and muddy work boots. Unfortunately, though... With all that has gone on, or with all that went on in 2020, and now what seems to be flowing over into 2021, uh, it's a little difficult to avoid politics. Mom, you wanted to make sure that we said something right off the hop here. Go for it. Yeah, we here at the growing season would like to say our thoughts are with the individuals and families involved in the recent unrest in Washington. We have in our extended family... A uh, person who does law enforcement. So this really hit home with us. So we would just like to say we are thinking of everybody involved. In that. Agreed. Agreed. I don't want to get dad. Sorry. What? Go for it. What? No, I said agreed as well. Matt. Yeah. 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 I don't want to grandstand and do any of this stuff. This is not the place for it. But there was an officer. There was a, a photograph taken. I, I believe it appeared in the New York Times of an officer on the inside of the Capitol and basically holding back a mob, a, uh, a crowd that, had, that was part of the insurrection. And you just look at this photograph. Mom, Dad, there would be photographs that I would not remember from history that you would be able to close your eyes and be able to see. The one that sticks out in my mind is there was that photograph, I believe it was from Vietnam, the little girl running down the street. In sure. Vietnam? Yeah, she actually lives in Canada now. Get out of here, really? Yes. Yes, she's been interviewed numerous times in the Star, not recently, but she she and her family, I don't know if they came over as boat people or not, but she is in Canada. And am I right, guys? Was that from Vietnam? 
Yes, it was. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Napalm had been sprayed on their village. Right. Right. Oh, awful stuff. But so this is where I believe that this photograph of this cop, guys, have have you seen this photograph? Yes, yeah. we have yeah. numerous times. It's and it's a it's an absolute it's a chilling photograph. It's ah. it's actually it's actually sickening. Like I say, we have a member of our family involved in law enforcement, and it it bothered me to see that photograph. And then the 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 um, law enforcement person that was killed. Yeah. Uh, that really bothered me, Matt, because that officer is your age. Yeah, which is sad. I, I yeah, and again, don't want to gloss over it, but this is not the place for this. But to just uh, just know, as Mum said, that uh, our thoughts are with the families and and those affected by all this, and hopefully we can get through this in a quick fashion. Okay. So, Chris and Claire's winter predictions are seemingly coming true. It's this has been a milder than usual January. Yes, guys. Yeah, it's been kind of a wimpy winter so far. Yeah. Oh, it's not over. No, it's, I know that. It's not over, yes. For those listening, for those uh, tuning in, again, growingseasoncanada.com is the website. Click on Showbits. My dad, Jack McFarland, he is a really big fan of winter forcing you to uh, spread your legs akimbo and just kick you in your midsection. Nothing pleases my dad more than just seeing Mother Nature buckle you at your knees and have you bow down at the altar that is her. Right, Dad? Oh, I agree, Matthew. And the fact that even that plant materials can survive at all outside is absolutely amazing. Okay. Yeah, they don't have furnaces. They don't no. have uh, winter jackets or boots, and yet they still keep trucking. Okay, so I want to start off here with root systems. Now, from what I have been told, and actually from what I've learned from this, there's this lovely radio show, guys. Have you ever heard of it? It's called The Growing Season. It's great because you learn so much. And there's this, yeah. there's, this, there's this host on there. His voice is just absolutely gorgeous. He's so funny and he looks kind of handsome. Anyway, okay. So the point is, um, what I've learned from this, and we touched on this, I believe, was it on the winter tee-up with Chris Sinclair, the first part of our chat, where we chatted about how if the root system of a plant or, or if the root system of a horticultural organism freezes off in the winter, that equals death. Is that the truth, Pops? That's the truth, Matthew. Okay, so that's that's all fine and well. And actually, this 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 ties in wonderfully. We have a chat. Dad and I have a chat with the Thornhill Horticultural Society. Many thanks to Esther and to um, Bernadette for having us. We have a chat coming up. And we're going to be talking about color in every single month. So basically, all four seasons of complete color. Okay, and you can get that when it comes to your plant materials. Don't let anybody tell you differently. But one of the plants that we're going to chat about in this talk is yucca. Okay, and we used to use yucca an absolute ton back in the day, back in the early millennium, and then we stopped using yucca because yucca were dying. Now. My dad has a very interesting theory as to why he believes the yucca were dying. And coming from a horticultural, a professional horticultural end of this, nothing is worse than having to replace a shrub. So we stopped using yucca for a long time because we didn't want to have to replace them. But dad, what was your theory on why the yucca was dying? Matthew, I think uh, back then we were getting more extreme winters going on. And I think in the end, what you did was you killed the root system on them, or most of it. And so only smaller part, smaller pieces of it uh, appeared next season, and it wasn't. Uh, it was only a shadow of its former self, kind of thing. So that is what you're saying is it was way less prickly, huh? 
huh? <laughs> but we stopped using it. And I remember you saying you thought that it was because of the lack of snow cover, the lack of prolonged snow cover, which would insulate the root system, which would help to keep it essentially warm, as dumb as that sounds, because we're talking about winter here, over the winter season. And this ties in directly to our chat today here, in that if the root system of the plant material dies, the the part up top dies, yes? Yes. Okay. So not normally speaking, it would take, you could, uh, the upper crown would take minus 40 to minus 50 degrees Celsius, say minus 40 to minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit, but the roots match for the most part. Minus four to minus seven degrees Celsius. Okay. So they are very susceptible to getting frozen off. But then, Dad, how does, how has anything survived ever? Like, if that's the level, if that is the, the threshold that kills them, like, this is, it's way below that as far as temperature most winters. Sure. But, Matthew, you, you have to go back. Okay, what's going on in the fall prior to going into the winter season, okay? Okay. So here's a big question for you. You know, get test your old brain out. What is the what is it called when the the plant actually goes into dormancy? What is it called? Uh, hibernation. No, what? you're gonna know this word right away. Yeah, fertilization. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, so bulbs. that's basically what's that? We talked about that when we talked about bulbs. Sure. So bulbs basically will take. Uh, starches and sugars and then uh, lower the temperature at which water freezes and that's how they get through the winter. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. But the same thing goes for everything. Okay. It's not just your little bulbs that are, are doing this. Things like uh, if we had Julia on, we could, we could talk to her about some of her cold weather vegetables, but Matt, biennial vegetables, for instance, beets, turnips, carrots, cabbage, kale, and so forth. They're all based on, they are affected by temperatures uh, as well, and they're known as cold-weather vegetables because they can tolerate great extremes of temperature. But Matt, what would happen if that you went and you had a plant and it did not go through, if it needed a chill period and it didn't go into a chill period, what would happen the following year? It wouldn't, it wouldn't produce near as much fruit. No. Here's what it would do. That's part of it, yes. But what it is, Matthew, is it's called abscisic acid. Oh, I don't or they call that. it ABA. Isn't that what uh, Jimi Hendrix died from? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> God, rest, Matthew, God rest his soul, by the way. He was, he was what fantastic. it does is it allows things like your buds and leaves leaf to form uh, while they're sleeping in dormancy, okay? All right. And that's really important because then the following season, that's when you would have flowers come out and they would they would form seeds and and also then your your apple trees and so forth would be to, would be producing their their fruit set so that next year they're going to have fruit really important stuff Matthew yes fruits important yeah especially especially if, if, if you're like an orchard owner fruit would be very important sure sure Matthew yes but the fact of the matter is that somewhere along the line you got to wake them up okay yeah and so that's when you start getting warmer weather in the spring and it what they call it it's called breaking the lock okay the dormancy lock and that's super, so super crucial, man. Now, whoa, whoa, hold on a second there, Frisky Misky. Uh, yep. What happens if you get a January thaw? Then they are going to be affected come next year for the like the following season. Yes, that will definitely have a 
play a role in it, Matthew. Now, now if here, the saw is short, it's not that it's not, bad. Not that bad. Yeah, yeah, but okay. but hold on a minute though. But, but with climate change happening here, and I'm I'm assuming here that the January thaw is going to become more pronounced because obviously it, it, it would be warmer longer. Are you talking about major damage to plant materials on a more routine basis? Absolutely, absolutely, oh, Matthew. Good, great. But here, here's a really big thing. So let's say that plant materials that require this chill period, okay, yeah. this dormancy period, which is basically vernalization. So let's say that they require this. So what would happen then if they didn't get a proper chill period? So let's say a normal chill period, Matthew, could go anywhere from, say, on, on low chill to medium chill to high chill. So low chill could be three, 400 hours. High chill could be upwards to 1,000 hours, okay? So what would happen if a plant that required a certain chill period, let's say it was a fruit tree, all of a sudden did not get its proper chill period, what would happen? It would die? No. What would happen, Mom? Uh, it won't set flowers and fruit. It'll just leaf. It'll just leaf. No fruit, no nuts, no berries. Think of that, Matt. So, okay, that cannot be good for the plant material. No, can't be. But how about it's just a thing that's there growing. It's just like having a shrub in your garden. And these guys are, are doing this for a living. They want to make money. Therefore, they want to grow these plants and so forth so that they can get, you know, their production of fruit and so forth off of them. But, Matt, here's really cool stuff, okay? So in, because of this fertilization, it takes place, I mentioned, in, in the vegetables as well. But it also, it, I said, in the, in the fruit trees like apples and peaches, they require this chill period as well. And so this, what, this is a reason why we would get fruit the following season. But off the top, can you think of any perennials, any, uh, let's say, uh, perennials, let's say flowering shrubs that would use the chill period in order to do very good, say, flower production or anything the following season? Any idea, Matt? Ah, okay, perennials. Instantly, I go to anything with a specialized root system. So my thought would be daylilies, hemerocallus. No. Um, okay. Hollyhocks and uh, foxglove. Foxglove. Digitalis, Matt. Wow. Okay. So in- interesting thing about digitalis, and there's the Latin alert. Thank you very much. Digitalis is wonderful because it's <laughs> it's biennial, right? So which actually, Mom, what does biennial mean? It means that it flowers every other year. Yeah. So what you get is you get leaf one year, big, crazy Jurassic Park looking leaves on a on a <laughs> digitalis. Then the next year you actually get the flower. So I, I've planted these Camelot, Camelot digitalis in my front flower bed. I've never, I mean, I've only I've seen them in pictures. I've just never seen what they look like because they just they're, they're just a little shy. They're gonna hopefully they come out this season. Yeah, but but really, so digitalis are using this chill period theory stuff. Yes, they are. Huh. And so is like Mom said, it was. Digitalis, what was the other one? Hollyhock. Yeah, hollyhocks, which I find really hard to believe. But, Matt, I would imagine that anything that has any sort of a bulb underneath it would also be doing the same thing. I would say, I would imagine that iris might be doing it. And then you said hemerocallus, that could be a distinct possibility. But as far as it has to have a distinctive bulb, I think, in order for this fertilization thing to take place. But hollyhock doesn't, and digitalis doesn't. No, I don't. I just said, weird. I said it has to be something like that. But, Matt, what is one shrub that really uses this fertilization process to come into the following season to set all its lovely little blooms? Wygelia. No. Mom? Hydrangea. Oh, God. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Look. <laughs> they talk about the hydration. Yeah. All okay. The time. Didn't we? Didn't we make a? There was a deal back in the fall or something where you're like, we are done with talking about hydrangea. Yes. Oh, uh, I couldn't help it. They brought it up. It wasn't me personally. <laughs> they didn't know about our deal. They didn't okay. know our deal. Now here's but, the. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So just think about this one second. Okay. So this lock is really important because what it will do is it will it will open, wake the plant up do its thing okay so depending on one when the lock gets broken will determine when the bloom will happen on the plant itself now about that one for a second but question for you though dad is if hydrangea do this and they are one of the plants that is known for being very particular on when you cut them back would clematis be a similar thing because they're also very very particular on when you cut them back no, if that has any bearing on it, on it's not anything to do with the pruning. It's it has more to do about breaking the lock. Just think about this: what's the first things you see in the spring when the when the um, the snow disappears and the blooms first happen on plants? What's the first thing you see? Dog poo. <laughs> no, I'm talking. <laughs> let, let's try this again. Dog poo. <laughs> Dog poo. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, one of the first things that you see. We're not in the talking fertilizer. Here. Okay. We're talking <laughs> breaking the lock. You got to break the lock, Matt. Yeah. Okay, so what is the first things that show up in the spring in the flowering shrub line that you will see right off the bat? What is it? Japanese carrier. What did you say? Japanese carrier. Okay, fine. So what's this? What's happened there? Mom said forsythia. Yeah, which, and by you the know way, what? I like Lin, Linwood Gold. Yeah, and that. mom knows. Mom, mom knows she's she's now on probation because that's a bad word on the show. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I happen to like them, by the way. So just think about this, Matt. You break the lock. Yep. Okay, so the first, I, so I guess Forsythia is one of the first ones that is able to break the lock. So they come out blooming quick. Okay. Yep. You also got things like Magnolia, and they would probably break the lock, and they come out quick. Another okay? useless tree. Again, I, I'm not a big fan because they, they, you know, the leaves, they generally have fairly large leaves, and uh, once they do in their bloom thing, and I, I know it's kind of cool when they bloom, the blooms come out before the leaves and so forth. But in, in the end, Matthew, it all comes down to is when they can break the lock to bloom, okay? Okay. And they, they remember, they are setting their blooms, they're setting their leaf, they're setting their, their, their fruiting buds for the following year, if that's the case, if they're say, a fruit tree. I'm going to tell you something. really cool. There is no reason, there is no reason in the furthest reaches of hell for a magnolia to just decide one year not to flower because if it needs some time to set its flower buds that that high maintenance little poop it can it sets its flower buds all stinking year it, it all it has to do is set its flower buds it doesn't do anything else what else does it I do agree. i agree nothing i agree matthew <laughs> it's like you think you, you wait this long you wait all winter long for it's for these blooms to appear and the bloody things don't appear <laughs> and i and I know, and, and okay, Matthew, the Amelanchia canadensis, the oh. downy serviceberry, it, it's one of the same kind of ones that the leaves appear after. Yeah, after the blooms but, are set. But show, you're right? not even. But you're comparing, <laughs> like, you're comparing the Tampa Bay Rays baseball stadium to to the to New Yankee Stadium here. The Amelanchia canadensis is one of the most wonderful horticultural organisms on earth. It is one of the better ones. You're oh, right. it's absolutely glorious. It, it it flowers white in the spring. Its fall color is to absolute die for. And it gets the blackberries in the fall. It's absolutely beautiful. 
Sure. But Matthew, just think about this. I got a question for you. So if do trees, is a tree's age defined by what it has to put up with going through the winter? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Winter has a definite bearing on, on how long this tree is actually going to live. Give me an example here, Matthew. So let's say we took uh, the average trees live anywhere from two to 400 years, that kind of idea, okay? Yeah. Okay, so let's say oaks are longer, of course, because they're oaks, okay? So they generally could live upwards, some of the black stuff, up to about 900 years, okay? And then you got your blue spruces, Matt. They can live anywhere from, say, 150 to 350 years. Or your white pines, your pinostrobus. Anywhere from two to four hundred and fifty years, and then I've got our lovely little Sudasuga menzizi glocas, and those suckers can go anywhere from seven hundred and fifty to twelve hundred years. Now, so here's the thing, though: now, if you are a thing. Colorado blue spruce, if you are a Piscia pungens glauca living in the GTA, you probably have a three-year lifespan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> nobody is planting them in the proper locations. <laughs> no, you need, like, you need lots of room. Oh, but man. Matt, just, just think about it. You, you have to put up with so much when you're, when you're outside and if you're a tree, for instance. So they have all these little things that are in place. They have uh, where they can, they have dead cells, for instance, in their bark, which protects the, they'll freeze solid. And then that will help protect the xylem and phloem tubes of the tree so that it'll be good come next spring. But Matt, they do all the other sorts of things. What they do is they will also take the water that's in the cells and move it into the face okay. between the now, cells. Okay? okay, now hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa there, Bill. <laughs> Jack Nye, the science guy. Okay, this is really cool. Because one of the common questions that we get from clientele is, okay, well, how, how come they don't freeze to death in the winter? And what you're saying is that in order for them to to maintain stasis or maintain life over the winter, what they do is they take all of the fluid that's within their cells and they put it in the areas between, basically creating almost like a sleeping bag. This is almost like a, it's an insulation thing for the cells. So the cells don't die. They don't, they don't explode or they don't, uh, due to the expansion and, and contraction of water freezing and thawing, they move the, all this material into the spaces in between. Yes. Yes, and also, Matt, really what cool. they do is they, they get rid of a lot of the extra extra moisture that they don't require. Because remember, they're not feeding any leaves. They're not doing anything else except they're basically running with their batteries on low. This is why you got to remember. And so in nature, Matthew, they don't have to contend with a lot of things like, say, in on a subdivision lot, for instance. You know, they're basically sitting out in the middle of the uh, open area where they're being affected by wind chill. They're being affected by everything else that you could think of in the summer, drought conditions, and so forth. But in the wild, Matthew, what is interesting about them is that they they require each other in, in the biggest sort of way. Okay? This is a thing. They, they're, they cut down on wind chill because they're a group. They're a forest. Okay? And that's really important. They, they do all the other stuff, too, about moving the water out of cells, spaces between the cells. They get rid of anything they don't need over the winter so that the cells don't rupture and that kind of stuff. Really cool, Matthew. But the thing is that, for the most part, an average tree will freeze in, uh, somewhere when the temperatures are basically 20 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit. The trees will then freeze, okay? So they have to get ready in the fall when they drop all their leaves to get ready for the winter that's going to be. So they, they have to really get tough and ready quickly okay there's none of this playing around they have to get ready but matt 
everything in a forest is set up to, to make that forest survive. Just think about it. All the plants underneath, for instance, that, that are around the, the base of the, the trees themselves, they have roots. They also help insulate. They also do this fertilization stuff, which helps, you know, which actually warms the ground somewhat and keeps the roots from freezing off as well in the winter. And also, Let's too, that one for a minute. and those plants on the forest floor around the interior canopy of these larger trees, they're benefiting from the trees dropping their leaves because those leaves are providing insulation cover for their root systems over the winter. You got it. Even mosses provide insulating cover, too. Huh. And they really don't stop during the winter, do they? No. The mosses are still having sex in the middle of winter, Matt, as you know. They're those, one of these yeah, those guys are they're they just going and going and going. <laughs> but, but Matt, I know, Matt. But then, of course, if it's, if it's an evergreen, they have our little friend, AFPs, yep. right? They have those protein. guys. Yeah. Plus, they're also equipped with something called cutin, which is this, like, waxy, it's almost like a, a waxy Kevlar vest. Yes? Sure. And what does it do exactly? Well, it basically, it the cutin uh, doesn't allow the needle to freeze off. That's part of it. But here's another big one, Matthew, that if if the moisture within the needle itself expands or contracts, it is flexible like a piece of plastic that allows for expansion or contraction according to the, you know how when water expands, it, it gets larger? Yes. So the same idea within the needle itself. So it gives it, uh, it gives it the ability to expand and contract. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. The evergreens, to me, it's one of the most remarkable outdoor beasts out there. I cannot believe how cool, the level of cool these things are, right? Getting down onto the chemical cellular level, they actually show you, There's, if you Google this, you can actually see exactly what the interior of the needles of these evergreens look like and the AFPs, this antifreeze protein, that it's this rudimentary antifreeze that this evergreen is equipped with that doesn't allow the, the water to freeze. It's absolutely remarkable. Speaking of absolutely remarkable, we're going to be joined by Chris and Claire on the other side for some snowmageddon. She's Lynn, he's Jack, I'm Matt. Get your parkas on because we're chatting mama honking snowstorms right here on the growing season on News Talks, like a 9.60 a.m. back the McFarlands on the growing season on news talks like a 960 a.m coming up on the show mr chris sinclair from the weather network we're going to be chatting about legendary volatile snowstorms all along with us growingseasoncanada.com click on show bits it's the visual accompaniment to the show pops wants to jump in and make sure that something is clear dad so matthew when i was talking about the little plants under the tree in the wild i i mentioned about what they were doing and so forth that was more of a surmise on your dad's part. Yep. So if, there, if the science is a little off, uh, that's your problem. I, I have a right to my opinion as well. So. <laughs> yes, yes, you have 
the right to your opinion, which sometimes results in your opinion, sometimes results in me having to go back and make edits and stuff here and there. Because... No edits. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay, so are we chatting a little bit about snowstorms here, or do you want to continue with the um, winter adaptations? Go. You know what, Matthew? I think the adaptations will will uh, hit on landline if you don't mind. Yep. Yep. The rest of let's hit uh, some of the trees and so forth that were uh, impacted by the ice storms of say 1998 in Quebec and maybe the the one in 2013 here, if that's okay. Okay, absolutely. Now we're not going to get too too deep into the details of this of the storms per se because we actually chat with Chris Sinclair uh, about this on the show or on our little chat coming up in like momentarily. And but an interesting little tie in here. I was going to Humber College's landscape program, and I and I chat with Chris about this. And we, our student base was affected by this snowstorm in 1998 because the the arboriculture students, the students that were learning about uh, arboriculture um, trees, arborists, they were actually pulled out of class. But anyway, so we'll talk about that with with Chris. But Dad and Mom. As far as the trees damaged in the 1998 snowmageddon, the ice storm in Quebec, tell me a little bit about this. Well, like what you got as far as information goes. Well, millions of trees were brought down by the weight of the ice, and a lot of trees were damaged. And what really was bad was the maple syrup and orchard regions in Quebec, especially in western Quebec. Uh, they suffered huge, massive losses because of the ice. When the ice... Uh, uh, accreted onto the trees the the branches broke because the ice was so heavy some maple sugar producers lost their entire bush like maple sugar bushes really? and some um some fruit orchards too were lost it was a huge it, the industry lost tens of millions of dollars because of this ice storm i remember this hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions? Yes. yeah i remember this ice storm i remember the military was set in and it seemed like for quite a while after, it seemed to hit between um, Christmas and New Year's and even a little bit into January of 1998. They were they were going, the roads were impassable. They were going to homes looking for people, it seemed like, for weeks after. And hydro lines down too, but trees, yeah, massive losses with trees. I remember that Humber College, it was an absolute tomb in there. Like you had, we had half of our student base gone just vanished and I remember the students coming back and saying that there would be days where they were on the ends of a chainsaw for 12 hours just cutting yeah, trees up yeah because of uh, there were so many trees down on the roads and there were actually people who perished in the storm because their electricity went off and the roads were impassable and it took so long for the hydro crews to get to to get to repairing the lines that yeah it, it was it was it was a, not a good situation. Do you know what? Lynn? I don't remind it, remember this at all. To tell you the truth. No, Jack, you had had surgery and you were in the hospital. Oh, okay. Huh. So you don't remember this storm at all. So, man, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. So, ice is bad for trees. It breaks branches, brings down trees, and so forth, right? Yep. Well, how much would you say a cubic foot of water weighs? Okay, well, a one foot by one foot by one foot piece of armor stone weighs 150 pounds. You're saying that you want me to measure out a cubic foot of water. Right. How much would you say it weighs? Ooh, I don't know. 
75 pounds. I mean, you know what? That's not a bad guess, okay? 62.4 pounds is one cubic foot of water. Wow. Now, here, get, get this number now. So, you know, snow can weigh anywhere depending on the amount of water content. can weigh anywhere from well, basically 20 pounds for that same amount of, uh, so we say, a one by one foot area. But ice, Matthew, get this. One cubic foot of ice weighs 57.2 pounds. Okay. So the Five water... Five times heavier than the heaviest, wettest snow we could have. Wait a minute. Hold on a second, though. A cubic foot of water weighs 62.5 pounds. Four. Okay. And then a cubic foot of ice weighs what? 57.2 pounds. So, the, so then the water's heavier. Absolutely. Okay. But a cubic foot of snow, you said where... You take, if you, just wait a minute. So you take an ice cube, drop it in a glass. Yeah. The ice cube floats because right. it's lighter than the water, right? Right, yes. Okay. But just think about that, Matt. You take a tree that's basically branches. It's kind of brittle. And you come along and you start having ice accretion on them. And you know up to, they said, I forget what it was, uh, one-fourth of an inch to one-half of an inch can break, say, your smaller branches. But it would take approximately one and a half inches of ice or more to break a large branch or bring a, bring a tree down, Matthew. Well, it goes to show you that the amount of damage is unbelievable. And, this is... and it depends on the kind of trees. There's a weak wooded deciduous trees such as Siberian elm, green ash, which I know the bug has got, and silver maple, which are more susceptible to branch breakage. Yes. Yeah, and this is why too the majority of these trees have have your branches coming off at roughly a forty five degree angle because it's accounting Not the majority. For, oh. Okay. And so it and it's accounting for the bend. Like it's it's accounting for the weight of the snow. And it's it's uh, it's allowing for that those branches to bend and still support themselves. Yes, sure. And, and Matt, the the, the the evergreens are even conifers, for instance, yep. are way more uh, set up for winter than say the deciduous trees are. Just think about it for a minute. They they do the forty five degree angle thing, right? Yep. They're they're in a shape basically of a pyramid, so that the snow will fall off. They also uh, are dark in color so that they're warmer in the winter time so that the snow will melt and again come off. They also have a have the ability to bend very easily and take a lot of say snow and ice without too much damage. Well, so and they're Dad, really cool, man. I was going to say the the branching structure or just even the makeup, the actual molecular makeup of the wood in the evergreen is by far and away more elastic. Than your hardwoods, than your than your major deciduous stuff, for sure. Oh, absolutely, Matthew. And I just think that all in all, the, the tree's smaller too. If you think about it, like a large oak can weigh fifty tons, and while there, most of your spruces and so forth might only weigh five or six tons, maybe seven tons at the, at the top end. I'm not talking redwoods here because they're not here. Okay, right, right. But but the thing is that Matthew, they're they're set up differently to accommodate themselves in the wintertime, and that is what's so cool. But, Matt, the, the um, ice storm that we had here in 2013, yeah. I, Mom, what was the date on that day? Wasn't it? Um, it was a Thursday. I think it was around the 19th or 20th of December. What I remember about that storm was uh, it, it affected us. It was my last day at school before Christmas break, and I think I, at the time, was hoping they would close the school, and they didn't. But that storm hit us. It hit southern Ontario. We in Bolton weren't hit too badly, but Brampton and especially Toronto got hit really badly. In fact, 20% of the tree canopy in Toronto was destroyed 
because of the storm. Well, southern Ontario, anyway. Southern Ontario, like like certain parts of Brampton too. I remember driving along a, uh, a fairly large street in Brampton, and the trees on either side of the street were just down. It was unreal. And it started like on a Thursday night and went into a Friday. Then there was a break, and then there was another storm that came through on the Saturday. Yeah. And in fact, that's a fantastic place to make a transition. We are pleased to be joined by Mr. Chris Sinclair of the Weather Network, wherein we chat about, in his mind, some of the legendary snowstorms, some of these snowmageddon storms, and we get into some of the deeper details on some of the stuff that we just chatted about. Here's Chris Sinclair and our chat from prior to everything going squirrely on the growing season on News Talks like at 960 AM. So, Chris, a question for you then. As far as cla- uh, cataclysmic snowstorms, I mean, mm. I'm not sure on your end. Is there something uh, top of the memory here that, you know, you would say, like, this is the one? Well, okay. Uh, you, we all remember when 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 Mayor Mel Lastman had to summon yeah. the yes. army. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, when, when when we looked at the the what when, when we put together the forecast at the Weather Network, and, and Dr. Doug Gillum is, is looks after our, our team, but he he loves winter um, more than anybody. Uh, he loves huge snowstorms. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's his thing. And so what he does is he takes a look at um, we, he, we, he tries to find analog years where the weather was very similar uh, over a over about a 500 day period prior to the period you want to look at. So he goes back through all the you know the files and and the data. And so the year he found that was similar to the winter that we're going to have in southern Ontario was a year that was which would happen to be that winter. Whoa. So the so the the plausibility of of having a storm of that nature and, and that whole thing when the army had to be called in and everything that wasn't one storm that was a series of uh, two or three i think it was three snow was over two weeks wasn't it that happened yeah over about a yeah a five to eight day period Mm -hmm. uh it was a series of storms that just became overwhelming because we had i think we had like 20 or 30 the first time and then another 20 you know right on the heels of that and it just became something that was overwhelming uh, and and partially due to the fact that it's such a large urban area. I think it would have been something far more manageable in a place like Barrie uh, um, that, that isn't so congested with so many automobiles and people and buses trying to get around. But that that was a huge storm. And I, uh, I that winter was one of those winters where it was, we had that, but three weeks later, the snow was all gone, and it was like six or seven degrees for that January thaw period at the end of January. So it, it, the, the thinking on the winter in Ontario, and particularly the south, is that the potential is there to get some really heavy uh, that could render 20, 30 centimeters of snow, but that within a, a 10 to 15 day period, that snow could all be gone and you would, and you would be dealing with temperatures that are above freezing and you kind of shaking your head saying, is, is that the end of winter? Are we into spring? And then two or three weeks later after that, you're right back into another big snowstorm. And it's funny because I was in Humber College for the, for the landscape design and construction program. <laughs> 
And 99, I was down at the International Center in Toronto building the big display for the Landscape Ontario show. And, 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 and we were basically <laughs> snowed in because of that. And then the previous year, I was in school. And that was the 97, 98 year with the big ice storm in, in Quebec. And they literally, yep. Chris, they pulled every culture student, every arborist out of the program and shipped them down to Quebec because they were that low or there was just that much damage that they were looking for anybody with, with a chainsaw. All those, all those maple trees that was crazy. Maple syrup are all destroyed, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that was such a bad storm. The weight of the ice on the roofs of barns and that, the barns collapsed, and there was a lot of livestock killed. Really? Yeah, there yes. were. Yeah. yeah, there was yeah massive loss of livestock life. I mean, Quebec's a huge dairy producer in the eastern townships, and... It, uh, aside from the roofs collapsing a lot when the power lines all went off east of montreal when all those big transmission lines went down there was no way to heat the barns so a lot of people put generators in the barns and they lost an awful lot of livestock to carbon monoxide poisoning too wow and there were people that died of hypothermia because the roads became so impassable they brought the military in but they just couldn't get to some of these people out in the rural areas quick enough am i right no. chris you're correct. I, I mean, the uh, I, I was working in Montreal at the time, uh, and and I and I happened to be working uh, during that that ice storm, um, and um, the 401 became uh, uh, unbelievable because because they couldn't keep they couldn't keep up with uh, clearing it. So and it would accumulate ice pellets, and then it would accumulate. You know, uh, two or three centimeters of glare ice on top of it, and then the ice pellets on top, and then it kept. So it was making like this, almost like a cement surface of ice. But it was never; they weren't ever able to clear it, and so it became very rutted. It took ages for that road to get back into really good shape, where you could drive over sixty or seventy kilometers per hour on it. And the other thing that was stunning about it was after it was over. Uh, that stretch of highway eastern Ontario between Brockville and the Quebec port to see all of the trees snapped off at um, about 10 feet up. Wow. But, you know, Chris, we, we found that, I guess, from listening to you guys a lot, was the length of time in which the ice and so forth is on the trees or on the surfaces of something, right? And that's yeah. when the damage really starts to occur. In my area here, Chris, I was watching, looking out the window, and I was seeing trees literally breaking off halfway up and just falling down. And these were yeah. very old, mature old. trees yeah. that really took a beating. And it's such a shame that people don't realize just how much time it takes to grow one of these large trees. And all of a sudden, they're being taken out by these, you know, these freak ice storms. Yeah. And, you know, we have had in southwestern Ontario, we've had, you know, more than you would think in the past 10 years. If you start going back, there was the one that happened holidays and I, and and as i get older time becomes uh, uh hazy I'm sure if that was four years ago or seven years ago that was 2013 the, i believe wasn't yeah. it okay yeah, so se seven years ago yeah. but and you look at the the frequency of those types of storms that we've had since then too uh where where we've had events where there's been ice accretion and you know when we get into these winters with fluctuating temperatures, uh, ice storms are a probability. I don't think they're as a greater probability this winter as perhaps seeing more snow events. Um, the cold is going to be as big a factor this winter as um, an infusion of milder air. Huh. So, Chris, right around the Christmas period of that year, 2013, 
we started having all those frost quakes. Can you explain that, please? Frost quakes are are um, are, are are and 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 I've I've experienced them. And if you live in a if you live in a house um, that has that, that that was built more than forty years ago, that's us. And uh, me too. And you, you've probably had those really cold nights where it's like minus twenty or minus twenty-five, and you can hear your rafters cracking. Like it yep. sounds like yes. an yep. explosion. Well, a frost quake is the same thing, and all that is is um, is is as it the moisture is is freezing and expanding, and and it's that it's freezing and it expands as it freezes, and and it, and it makes a, a frost quake, or and, and, which is like a, a crack. They're quite loud because we had one Christmas Eve of that year, and I remember uh, the light, our our big light in the living room, kind of shaking, and the noise was loud. I thought a tree had come down onto our house. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of <laughs> scary. It's yeah, unsettling. It's scary. Okay, Dad, one more snowstorm for him, and then we're going to let Chris go because Chris has been so generous with his time. So, Chris, I don't, you won't remember this, but back in <laughs> 1975, I'm older than you are. Obviously, you were what, in your teens back then, right? So there, there, uh, be fun. Uh, he's got to think on that one for a minute. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. just say yes, Chris. Just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're older than you, Chris, because we were just married. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, Chris, I had uh, the reason why this snowstorm caught uh, caught my attention is because this was the very first time in my life that I had ever gone out and physically plowed snow, and so we had gotten in a neighborhood of about I'm trying to think here in the neighborhood of about thirty or forty centimeters of snow at the time. But, Chris, it was absolutely the most bizarre thing. You go out on the street, various roads and so forth, at night, and all these abandoned cars are there. And so what people were doing, well, they'd be running their vehicle because they couldn't go anywhere. They'd run out of gas. Now they're stuck there with nothing, okay? So we had to go and we had to plow all these various buildings and so forth that we were, had been uh, uh, you know, paid to go and do. So anyways, we, we go there. We can't go anywhere. The plows are stuck. The cars are all are abandoned on the roads. So they, they asked us to do something called ditch hopping, okay? And at the time I said, what is ditch hopping? And they said, well, what you do is you plow a swath through the ditch and you come up on the opposite side where the, where the vehicles are no longer. And this way, that way you can get around of all these abandoned cars. And let me tell you, nobody in their right mind wants to go around through the ditch <laughs> To, to actually go and avoid all these automobiles. <laughs> That's an insurance nightmare. Man, but right get there. this. As we, as, I, as we made a swath, we come along, we hear this muffled noise, and it's like somebody's screaming. And we, we wondered, what the heck is going on? So anyways, what had happened was that somebody had gone into the ditch, and they had been stuck there in the snow. Plow came along, covered them over <gasps> with what? snow. Yeah, yeah, so they had been stuck in there. I don't How know. long were they in there? They said hours. Okay. okay. Now, if the engine's running, no, they kept turning it off, turning it on, turning it okay, off. Because my it first on. question would be carbon monoxide. Yeah, ten right. minutes every hour. But oh, anyways, oh. they were stuck there. They didn't think they were ever going to get out because they couldn't open the doors. So in the end, what we ended up doing was we we oh, you know you? we hooked the chain to them, we we pulled them out, and they were the you know and the thing, Chris, when I always find that on during big snowstorms or snow events or whatever that people actually treat each other better, okay? So we were actually physically driving these people on our way to our job sites to, like, gas stations that stayed open all night long. and Donut shops. Donut shops, everything. Free free donuts, free coffee, everything was just free so that these people were not going to be felt abandoned. And, Chris, this is what I find is fascinating, that 
everybody can remember a particular snowstorm or, or something that had happened, and they relate it to something in their own lives. And I think that's what makes it so cool about what you do. Well, you know what? I think you that's hits the nail on the head about because I find that Canadians uh, are we complain about our weather, but we love the way that it can unite us uh, around a particular <clears throat> uh, talking point or shared experience. And I think when you talk about events like that, like a snowstorm or an ice storm, it always brings us together um, and. The, the capacity uh, within each of us as an individual to be kind to another person who needs someone to be kind to them is uh, enough to bring you to tears in many instances. And I think that that's the beauty of the rigor that the weather can give us sometimes is it offers and affords us an opportunity to realize uh, that we are human beings and we're surrounded by human beings and everybody wants to really deep down inside be kind. I am not going to sully that at all with and with with another question. That is fantastic. There is that is story time with Uncle Chris. Uh, <laughs> holy jeez, that's, a that's thought. fantastic. Chris, if people would like to be able to find you on the internet or social media, how I mean, how do they do that? Um, you can you can search uh, C S T C L A I R. Um, TWN or uh, the number one at Twitter or Instagram. And Chris, you are so well, Dad. Make yeah. it quick. Yes, it quick. I know, Chris. I know. Last time we I had you, we had we had you on. I had yep. mentioned to you about wanting to talk about one of your favorite topics, the fog. Okay, or uh-huh. fog, and we never got to it. And That's I would okay. just maybe maybe uh, somewhere down the road I would love yeah, to springtime. We'll, we'll not even springtime. Let's do this something over the winter if possible. The man has got other things to I do besides talking to the McFarlands. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. But Chris, yes, we would love to have you on again if that's possible. Of course it is, McFarlands. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Uh, Dad, we, I would be remiss if we didn't allow you to uh, serenade Chris with a. Hideously awful joke. Is there a hideously awful joke? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yes. I have one. I have one for you. Okay. Oh, we're playing serve and volley here. Okay. Who goes first? You know what? Our guests should be able to go first. Yes. 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 Always go first. Well, I, and because you're a landscaper, I, I would. You, you probably want to know about this new grass seat that I found for my lawn. I uh, because I had. I, anyway, I put it down. I had a problem with birds. So I put this new uh, grass seed down, and it's grown my lawn, and my my lawn is impeccable. Oh, God. Oh. That's cute. Oh, Chris, That's cute. you should be ashamed of oh, yourself. My, my. That's absolutely terrible. Do you know what, Chris? Mine's a little better. Why, why did the weatherman blush? Why, why did the weatherman blush? He saw climate change. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, thank you so much again. Once again, we like, I so look forward to this chat. If there's anybody that my father's like, you know, uh, we haven't had Chris on for a while. We have to get Chris on. This is, it's a constant thing. And I think it's just because he's such a weather nerd that he just, this is, yeah. The weather just seems to be a thing that everybody wants to chat about. It is fun, isn't it? And that's it. Now, as usual, the cup runneth over as far as information goes. Dad, you have like 30 seconds to get your last little little bit of information in here. Go. So, Matt, as I was mentioning, it's really hard on trees over the winter. But there are actually trees out there that 
because of that, because of, say, harsh for that's what generally will affect an environmental stressors and so forth. Yeah. But Matt, everybody knows what a bristol cone pine is. At least I think they do. Yep, most of us, yep. So, so that would be like a longava or an aristocata, or no, aristata, sorry. But Matt, get this, they can live 5,000 years and they never really die of old age. Why? Uh, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're vampires. I, I don't know. They're zombies. Mom, what do you got? They have a genetic mutation in their pollen that in their seeds that and pollen that they just don't die of old age. Like they will die from environmental damage and stuff like that, but they just don't die of old age. So the trick here is that everybody's getting a bristlecone pine now on their landscape plants. Just wait, Matt. Just think about this. So trees that live very long lives are not necessarily dying of old age. They're dying because of say chainsaw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or environmental stressors. Think about that one out in uh, around the prairie, you know, out on the uh, Sunshine Coast in BC. Remember the uh, yellow cedar? Yeah, yes. Eighteen hundred years, years old, Matthew. Yeah. So there are trees out there that really don't die of old age. Just think of that one for a minute. Wow. Okay. Absolutely. Have that. Your thirty seconds turned into a minute. All right. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on show bits. This is the visual accompaniment to the show, as well as to the this show will be podcasted directly at the top of the show bits immediately after the show's aired. So if you've missed parts of it, no problem. Just hit play. I want to thank Chris Sinclair for joining us. My God, breakneck speed. As well as this week, we're not going to do a joke because, as you heard on the on the other side there, my dad told a joke and Chris told a joke, and there's no reason why we have to absolutely bang you guys over the head with three disgusting punny dad jokes. Mom? Till next time, have a great one. And please be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs. 